The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Good afternoon and welcome to this week's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm your host, Ian Fisher, filling in for Beth Heaton this week. We're recording this show on Thursday, February 23rd, but by the time you hear this episode, it will be March. This period of the admission cycle, as winter starts to give way to spring, is awfully quiet for the majority of seniors. I had a call with a parent just last week who wondered what more they could do now that all the applications had been submitted. It was quiet around their house, maybe a little too quiet, and the urge to connect with someone or do something, anything, to help improve her child's chances of getting in was so palpable that she picked up the phone and called us for advice. All I could really tell her was that she needed to sit back and wait. Waiting is the hardest part, but it's necessary. You see, when you submit your application to a school, it's just one collection of essays and scores and transcripts. You certainly pour your heart and soul into that application. But when it arrives at that campus's admission office, it's one of thousands and thousands of applications, each containing a unique story, an original set of essays, and the full range of a student's permanent record. As admission officers, it's our job to make sense of it all, to find the best class we can, Uh, from among all the contenders. And so we take refuge in our caves armed with pots of coffee and a pile of pillows jury-rigged into the best lumbar support we can fashion, plugging away at stacks of files day after day to give shape to a brand new freshman class. Today, we want to take you behind the scenes of the reading process. From where you sit, an app goes in and a decision comes out. Sometimes it's what you want it to be. Sometimes you're a little disappointed. But there's much more happening in between than meets the eye. I'm not going to tell you this story all alone, of course. Joining me to share their experiences, to reflect on many, many seasons of reading applications, are my colleagues, Christine Sawicki and Tova Tolman. Welcome to the show, you two. Thanks for having us, Ian. What do you think of that intro? Did it capture what's going on with the reading process, or was it a touch too dramatic, or maybe both? (laughs) I I love the idea of the best lumbar support. Please, when you're you're 25, you're happy if you can afford an extra dining room chair to sit and read applications. <laughs> best lumbar support. Exactly. I I read most of my applications. I was right out of college, and I read at the uh, the jock mock table, which is uh, available at IKEA, still available today, um, which had absolutely no lumbar support whatsoever. Um, I. I want to start off this conversation with just sort of a day in the life view. Uh, My last reading season was five years ago. Um, I think it was a little more recent for each of you. Tova, I'll start with you. What sort of comes to mind when you hear the words reading season? 
Uh, yes, <laughs> long days. I, I kind of can't help but uh, shake just a little. <laughs> but you know what? Nostalgia and, and fondness of, of hearing the students' stories. Yeah, it was a fun time. But, I, you know, the laugh and the joke is the darkness and, and the shakes because they were a lot of files to get through in a day, yeah. in a week, through the month, and you had to stay on track. So for me, I think the first thing I always remember was the daunting task of it all. And, oh, dear, are we going to get through it this year? And, oh, my, we're up 10% applications this year. How are we going to get it done? Uh, the, the, the list of it all was uh, the part that I remember most. Right, the things that you celebrate in press releases when you say your applications are up are not necessarily <laughs> the things that individual admission officers are celebrating because they're the ones that have to read those applications and, and make those tough decisions. Um, Christine, you like reading. You speak of it somewhat more fondly. I don't think you've got the same like exasperated sound that Tova just made when you think about reading season. Uh, what sort of comes to mind for you when you reflect on, on the years you spend reading? Yeah, this is my my first uh, year in 15 years uh, not reading applications. So um, I'm actually going through a little bit of withdrawal right now. Um, Reading season, I think it's apt that you use that phrase. Um, It really is a season, and it's a season dedicated to reading. Um, I often referred to my reading cave where I would go in um, at the start of uh, a reading season, um, end of December, beginning of January, and I would not really emerge from that cave uh, (laughs) until several months later. Um, So I feel like I'm seeing January and February for the first time in uh, a decade and a half. Um, It's quite nice, actually. Um, But I do do miss reading files. Um, There's something about the rhythm of evaluating pieces of information and putting it together to make a story, to uh, see an image clearly of who someone is through all of these different components and different lenses. And I love helping students in my role now um, put together those pieces, make sure those pieces are complete and vibrant. Uh, But I do miss seeing uh, the final products um, uh, flowing uh, across my desk every 10 to 20 minutes, another another puzzle (laughs) to put together. It's interesting the way you describe that as this sort of like story that comes together and you see all these pieces and you learn about the student and it, it sounds like this. You almost get this image of like a crime scene detective, like pulling together scraps of paper and trying to solve this thing. But that happens over a period of weeks or months. And one of the questions we get is um, how much time is an admission officer actually going to spend on my application? Um, how much time? would you say you spent on applications at various institutions? I would say there's a lot of variability, um, file mm-hmm. to file. Some applications yeah. are more, much more complicated than others in uh, the, the story and the pieces uh, that are there. Um, I would say a, a faster file read would be somewhere in the 10 to 15 minute range. Um, a longer file read would be somewhere in the 30 to 40 minute range. Um, uh, probably somewhere around 15 to 20 as, uh, as the average. Sure. Toba, what yeah. about you? Uh, you know, I, I ditto on the, it depends on the file, but I'll also add, it depends on the school. Uh, I read for schools that really varied in selectivity from not so selective at all to very, very selective. 
And I'd say those numbers are spot on at the very, very selective. But at the, at the not so selective at all, the, the fast ones, and, and there were, there's still that same variability, but you could, in theory, get through a really simple, straightforward file in really maybe as little as, I hate to admit it, but you know, four or five minutes, if, if not maybe a smidge less at yeah. um, the less selective school. There are less factors to consider, um, especially for a straightforward file. When I was first starting reading applications, I think it took me 20 to 30 minutes to read each file. Um, we always read the early decision applications first. That happened, you know, typically in November, December. And my first year, it took me 20 or 30 minutes on each one of those. And then I started getting a rhythm for it and, and figuring out what I was looking for. And transcripts start to make much more sense. And by then, you know, you get down to 10 to 15 minutes uh, on average for, for most of them. Um, and... You know, that, this isn't something that you should hear. You know, I think especially parents are probably out there like cringing, like 15 minutes, that's it. You know, 10 minutes, that's all you spend on an application. But, you know, you're still reading every word that a student's writing. That's a part of, of the required essays. You're still reading those letters of recommendation. You know, anything that's required as a part of that app is something that, you know, an admission officer is giving full credence to. So so don't think that the pace of this is is something that suggests that it's, you know, admissions officers are treating this somewhat flippantly. Um, I think... I would uh, add to that. Oh, yeah, you both got to add. Okay. Which <laughs> yeah, ones, we, which we one just have to get our words in edgewise here. <laughs> I'll <laughs> add that. Well, there's as, three of us and we like think, to talk. <laughs> the part that you said that I think is really key is as you get used to it, your eyes know where to look. I mean, that's huge. Uh, keep in mind when you're reading, I, I don't, are we admitting to how many we read in a day or is that going to make parents cringe even more? Go even for more? it. I mean, I was just so going to say, I read about 30. Yeah. About how many now? About 30 a day. Oh, yeah. You, we would have probably had to have fired you. We would have had to let you go. <laughs> no, no, I, not um, at three of the four schools I worked at, 30 a day. Goodness gracious. <laughs> we would have needed to hire too many of you. Uh, a good 60 plus a day at, at three of the four schools I worked at. And the reality is, as you say, you you know, it's not just that your your eyes learn to look at the certain right place in the transcript or, or that the eye knows where to go on this form on the Common App, but it's also we sort of pick up on the cadences of recommendation letters, and it's very easy to pick out the keywords and the key phrases because they really start to follow a bit of a form, and you can go through them and pull out that information you need a lot faster than you might think if you're doing it again and again and again all day long. That was similar to the sentiment that I was going to add is that you're in a, a rhythm. You're doing this uh, seven days a week uh, for a period of several months. <laughs> and so there is a rhythm, a beat to the evaluation of a file. And uh, you know where to look. So um, I think it's less scary to think about when you've read, uh, you know, 300 of them um, and you know where to look versus imagining looking at the first one. So where to look, yeah. I think, or is an interesting question. Or looking up a high question. school for the first time when you're not familiar with what a standard curriculum looks like at that high school. When you know right. off the back of your hand, oh, every senior at that school takes this class in this period, it goes a lot faster. Yeah, you don't have to say, do they offer AP Biology here or not? Because you've seen 10 other applications that year from the same school, and you, you know that they do. Um, I, I want to talk a little exactly. bit about where to look. Was Did you always read things in the same order? Um, did people at your schools uh, that you worked have to read things in the same order as one another, or was it totally up to the reader? I mean, you know, for me, I 
I sometimes glance at the transcript, but basically started with the front page of the Common App and let the students' personal essay be the first time that I heard from them. But maybe that's different for, for each of you. Christine, what sort of order did you like to take on your applications? Yeah, um, I uh, began, I guess, kind of at the beginning. Uh, I opened up the Common App and would get the context of the student first. Um, where uh, where are they? Um, where What kind of a family do they come from? Uh, what high school are they attending? Uh, just kind of the framework of where the student is. Um, uh, after I went through the first five pages of the Common App, I would go right to the transcript. Um, that is the backbone of the college admission decision and would analyze that. Um, uh, then I would go back to the Common App to review the activities. Um, the personal statement would follow that, and then uh, the the supplement of the school I was specifically working for. Christine, did you train me on how to read applications? <laughs> I swear. Sounds I mean, familiar? I, like, to a T. Uh, context. Context is everything. And I felt like I couldn't even look at a transcript if I didn't understand the context. So I always wanted to understand what's the family background, where is the student coming from, wh- where are they beginning, what is the framework for understanding their file. And then I swear to AT exactly what Christine just shared. Yeah. And I think that... Con- so, Ian, you're the weird one. Doing it I'm, not that, I'm not <laughs> that weird. <laughs> Maybe a little essay. bit. We had, we had colleagues that, that read uh, that would start with the supplement. They would read the essay supplement because they wanted to know, first of all, how invested the student was in that particular institution. And that was just the approach that they wanted to take in terms of how they approached the file. So, you know, that's within the same admission office, two different counselors having a different order in terms of how they approach the application. And frankly, that's not something you're going to know when you uh, when you send in your application, which is why you want to make sure that every aspect of what you put forth is your best work. Um And I want to come back to this question of context because context is largely driven by institutional priorities. And those are things that are determined by the head of the office and the president of the college in terms of kinds of students that they're looking for. Um, When you think about sort of how you go into an application, are you reading more for to look for positives or are you looking for negatives that are reasons to keep a student out? Nobody wants to answer this one. Usually, get yeah. just jump in. Uh, I can I can jump in. Um, uh, I would say I read for reasons to admit the student, um, knowing that especially um, in the selective pools that I was reading, and um, not every student that I would want to admit would would be would be admitted in the process. Um, but uh, I was looking for positives, but if there were um, softness in the file, I am, would be obliged to, to incorporate that. I think uh, it's very important that admission officers uh, are trained um, and execute checking their biases at the door, and you go in kind of reporter style. So back to your analogy, Ian, of a crime scene, uh, you try to keep opinion out of your review and keep it factual. Um, you're highlighting strengths. Um, and you're looking for reason to advocate for a student, uh, but if there are weaknesses in the file, um, it's important to present that so your summary is holistic and unbiased. And that's really important in terms of the authenticity when you take it to the dean or to a second reader or committee, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, you have to be somebody that looks at what's actually there as opposed to making connections that, that aren't necessarily there. Uh, what about you, Tova? How, what was your sort of attitude as you went into each, each file in terms of 
giving a student, you know, a chance to get in or saying, I'm looking for reasons to keep you out? Right. Well, you know, I think it was never reasons to keep you out. But um, at, you know, one of the schools I worked at where really almost 70, 80 percent of the students were getting in, and it was really just a question of, were you eligible? Were you ready? Did we feel you were capable of doing the work? In those scenarios, you really, when the numbers and the numeric profile matched and, and they were strong enough to suggest, yep, this student can handle the work, then, yeah, I'll be honest, it was a quick scam of the file looking for any red flags, anything that might suggest the student wouldn't actually be a good fit here, even though all of the numbers suggest that she is. Uh, in those scenarios, it might have been more looking to make sure uh, or, or looking for a reason to keep the student out. But just as Christine said, when it is highly selective, you know, when on the flip side, when the school only is accepting 6% or 7% or 16% of the students who apply, and, you know, I'll be lucky if I'm able to, to, to get and advocate for these students and committee and, and push these students in through into the class, then it was all the fun, great, exciting reasons why the student should be admitted. And those are the things you're trying to pull out. Because well, the numeric profile isn't going to be enough. The, the, of course, the numeric profile is strong enough. So you're looking and spending time and energy for trying to find those extra fun nuggets, those extra pieces that suggest the student is going to be a good fit. Good. So both of you have mentioned committee. We're going to take a pause here, but what I'd like to do when we come back is talk a little about the decision-making process in the committee room at institutions where we've worked and how each file is ultimately decided. So I hope you'll stick around with me. Uh, And after this short message, we'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. If you're catching us live and happen to miss the first segment, I'd strongly recommend you download the podcast for this week and go back and have a listen. We discussed all the ways that admission officers approach file reading, what they look for in apps, what their biases are when they're reading, a lot of really great information in there. Definitely worth a listen. To get a hold of our podcast, you can always jump into the archives at voiceamerica.com or you can download us on iTunes. And when you're in iTunes, please consider giving us a rating. Our goal at College Coach is to connect with the broadest audience possible so that students are better informed about this process. Better ratings mean more listeners and less stress in general. So please do give us a rating. All right, let's get back to it. Christine and Tova, I want to talk a little bit about committee. Um, and committee is something that I think I'd, I'd like to define. But before we jump right into that, we were talking all about reading. I'm curious what sort of summaries you brought with you into the committee room. Uh, in other words, you read this big long file, uh, but you've got to sort of put your thoughts down on paper and represent that to, to the rest of your team or to your, your dean. Um, what exactly do you write and what are sort of the salient points from an application? Tova, why don't you kick this one off? Oh gosh, I thought we were going to talk about and start with the fun parts of committee, like what snacks people would bring in <laughs> and like... <laughs> <laughs> where you'd order from because it's going into, you know, 10 p.m. and everyone needs to order dinner. No? No? Okay. <laughs> no, no, uh, we'll get that. Definitely, I remember, I think, one of my first years, I started presenting files in committee, and I realized how woefully underprepared I was. People were asking me questions about uh, the young woman, and I did not know. What What was her science in 10th grade? Um uh, I think chemistry was it, uh, and I realized very quickly I needed to be very well prepared for committee. But you're right; that summary is short. It's it's concise. It's to the point. It's sort of your wrap up message. As we tell students when they are thinking about that essay, what sort of message do they want to get across? It's sort of one sentence or two. A little bit of that context that Christine was talking about in the first. Um, in the first segment, sort of where are they coming from, uh, what their background is, uh, a really brief synopsis of the the numeric profile, and sort of less than a sentence of how they're going to add to our campus, you know, what they're going to bring, what their spiel is, if you will, why, you know, who they are in in that sort of fun way that's going to add color to our campus in this way or in that way. Gotcha. Christine, any significant differences in terms of what, what you would bring to the committee table? Um, no, very, very similar. Um, being concise is very important uh, because, as Tova mentioned, you're going well, well past your typical bedtime sitting in a committee room uh, for days <laughs> on end making these decisions. Um, uh, so being prepared and concise is very important. Um, I'd say that I tried to hit in my summary each of the five major components of a file. So um, I would first start with the context, um, and then I would say... Uh, word about the uh, transcript, um, 
you know, most demanding curriculum, uh, only B is in subject X, for example. Um, comment on the standardized testing, a comment for extracurricular activities and highlights that might be there, um, highlights about the essays, and then um, uh, highlights about the letters of recommendation. So I try to hit each of those five major components on every file um, uh, for, I guess, consistency in the presentation of my cohort. Gotcha. So, so very much uh, a summary of the things that matter. Um, and then you bring it into committee. And committee, you know, I think we throw this sort of term around. It might be that some of our listeners are not quite as familiar with it. But basically, committee is the room where the final decision is made on some of the applications that are sort of on the borderline. So they're not clear admits. They're not clear denies. At some schools, every possible admit gets committed. At other schools, it might just be those that are marginal. Um, but but that's essentially what you're looking for. And the committee can be made up of uh, everybody on the admission staff, as it was at Reed. It was all the counselors and the dean. Um, and they can be much smaller groups as well, uh, just representative groups from the admission staff. Um, one thing that I... Well, I mean, if, before I ask the next question, uh, is there any sort of differences that you would add, uh, either of you, about your committee experience or just uh, something about the structure of your committee that maybe was unusual? I think it's important to point out how uh, unique committee is to the world and realm of selective schools. And, and not just highly selective, but, but pretty selective, very selective. And once you start getting outside that, you know, 40, 50, 60%, it's not a given that committee even exists. And, and this was something that really surprised me once I left uh, very selective admissions. I, I was surprised how what a small percentage of files actually are discussed in committee at a school that, you know, even where, where fewer than half the students are getting in to where the schools where nearly uh, nearly all the students are being admitted. Uh, there's, there's no such thing as committee. They might look at you like you have three heads if you ask, hey, where do we do committee? Um, like you might uh, <laughs> ask on your first day. <laughs> Gotcha. So that's it is really point. something that's only done in that in that very selective admission world. The only thing I would add uh, to the definition uh, of committee is you mentioned it's where final decisions can be made and um, final. Uh, I, I might hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to get there. Because, We're going to get there. Okay, Don't give right, the farm I'll, away. I'll, I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One thing that, so the question that I wanted to ask is, um, and this comes back to sort of the insider knowledge, uh, you know, of, of I, I was in the room, I was making the decisions. One question I wonder is, does knowing the structure of a committee at a given school in any way help a student with their application? So does my knowing that all of the admission officers go into a committee room together help me in terms of executing my application or not? Um, is this relevant or salient information for a student as they're putting their application together? I know that's kind of a tough question, um, but Christine, why don't you answer it? Yeah, um, I, I would say overall, uh, no. Um, I, other than I think it might help reduce uh, anxiety and understanding and knowing what the process is. 
Um, I would point out um, one little detail that happened in uh, the committees that I was a part of was we would read from the students' essays, little uh, couple of sentences uh, brought together that really illustrated a student's voice, um, read the conclusion of the personal essay, um, and I think uh, that might be helpful for the listeners to understand that the students writing, um, their voice actually enters the committee room um, in, in many cases. Yeah, I think that is that is important that, you know, that line that you have that's a throwaway or that might seem insensitive and you're just like, hey, I'll leave it in there. That might be something that really is a sticking point in the committee room. Um, or, you know, on the other side, if you have something that's really demonstrates your character in a positive way, that could be a real asset in the committee room. Um, there's no way to know for sure that that's going to be the thing that catches the eye of an admission officer, but they certainly do allow you to sort of speak for yourself in a way. Um, what do you think, Tova? Is, does, does knowledge of the process help students find greater success? I really don't. No, I don't, I don't think it does. I think for the reasons Christine said. Gotcha. Well, that was quick. Um, so, <laughs> I was trying to come up with a scenario where maybe it might, and well, perhaps this. I mean, I think, as you said, for peace of mind, just for feeling like you have an understanding of how something sure. works, sure, maybe. But, you know, there's no way to game this process. And no. it's not like, it, oh, if I know exactly how it works, well, then I'll, there's a formula I can apply. I can assure you two different days and two different times is going to go slightly differently in terms of the way the discussion will happen. And, you know, I don't think that there's really any sort of uh, leg up in terms of the exact nuance uh, really gained of understanding the nuance of a particular school. I was going to, I just wanted to hear you say it. I, you know, I totally agree, but I wanted to put you on the spot. Okay. Um, good. So uh, I appreciate that. <laughs> another thing that I'm sort of curious about it, you know, obviously committee rooms are made up of humans and, you know, human beings have different kind of biases and sets of interests, but they're also working within a system that has certain rules to it. Um, I wonder to what degree you think um, admission decisions would be different at schools you've worked for if the room were composed of entirely different people, people with the same, same general rules, same set of institutional priorities. But, you know, when I worked at Reed, there was a guy who worked there who loved the classics and lacrosse and squash. And if you liked the classics and lacrosse and squash, he <laughs> loved you, right? So like you were an, a potentially interesting student to him above and beyond other areas. Now, the rest of us in committee would say, come on, man, you just like this kid because he likes the classics and lacrosse and squash. And we could squash that to some degree, no pun intended. Uh, but I'm wondering if what your thought is on the predictability of admission um, in terms of consistency of decisions uh, and how much around the edges is dependent on the human beings who are in the room. Tova, you go first. Ooh, that's tough. Because, you know, at the end of the day, you want every student to feel like they, that, that this is scientific, that there is a fairness to it, that there is some formula, that there's some predictability, and that, uh, you know, if, if uh, I got in today, or if I didn't get in yesterday, I wouldn't get in today, and, you know, if she got in today, she would again get in tomorrow, and so on and so forth. But you know what, Ian, it's a human process. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that the committee members' biases are, are going to entirely over... 
uh, overrun the, the process. You know, I do think that's right. why it is a committee, because we all come in with our biases, and while we try and check them at, at, at a certain point, we also do celebrate them and recognize we have different perspectives and draw from one another. But because of that, the conversation can look a little different based on who the players are in the room that day. I think at the end of the day, it does pretty much balance out. And also, it's important to it really mention and make clear we're only talking about at you know, this level of uh, unpredictability and uncertainty at the crazy, highly selective schools. Uh, so I, I would say there is a little bit of flexibility there, a little shifting based on who happens to be in the conversation at that moment. And, and I know that makes it a little, a little uncomfortable and, and makes it sometimes feel frustrating. But the only thing I can say to make students feel better about that is that it's real people, real humans yeah. doing a human process, reviewing your actual story and, uh, and, and your humanity and your, your, your humanistic piece that you're bringing to the, the table. Yeah. I, I, would, I would agree very much with, with Tova. I think um, there's a little bit of gray area around the edges of uh, how the people in the room might interpret uh, a, a given story, but there are checks and balances in making admission decisions. Um, uh, there's reports that are run and analyzed, and school groups um, are carefully uh, checked um, in some places, and uh, there are multiple readers on any given file in most cases, or in many cases, and uh, I think those checks and balances uh, help minimize the amount of uh, influence any one person or select group of people will have in the final decision. You know, and I, I would sort of, I agree with both of you, obviously, but I, I, I would also play up the other side, which is that if you're at this highly selective level um, and you happen not to get into a school, um, it could just be that you didn't catch the eye of the person who read your file or the people who are in committee that day, but has nothing to do with something that you did wrong. It's just an element of, of chance that really comes into it. You know, we're attracted to certain kinds of writing as opposed to other kinds of writing. Uh, There is an answer to some of those subjective questions. I mean, if you put an essay in front of our team at college coach, um, just about everybody will either think it's really good or not so good or really bad, but we all have a pretty uniform sort of sense of what constitutes a good admission essay. Uh, We just might be slightly more attracted to one or another. And that element of variability is something that you'll never get away from, especially at the most highly selective levels, which is why you can't feel bad when you don't get into one of those top schools. And you also got to understand when you do get in that part of it was luck, that it's not, you know, you deserve it, but there's also a degree to which there was some luck involved. Um, and, And I think that that's important to understand as you plan your lists. I do want to come back to this idea of shaping the class and sort of the final work that's done. And Christine, you wanted to mention that earlier. So uh, what would you say about shaping the class and sort of the final step before we figure out who our new freshmen are going to be? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, the, the, the phrase that's commonly used is no decision is final until the decisions are out the door um, uh, mm-hmm. is important to, to hear. So um it's applications are being read, evaluated, committed. Um, decisions can happen uh, at multiple points in the process, sometimes after a read, sometimes after a couple of reads, sometimes in the committee. 
um, and it's entered into a computing system, um, before any decisions are made final, uh, the dean um, or the dean and his, his or her leadership team will get a picture of what the class in its entirety looks like. Um, you've done intensive training with your readers at the start of the season, so you have a rough idea of what your benchmarks are in terms of how hard or how easy uh, to be reading um, in the file, depending upon what your number of targets are. Uh, but And sometimes you hit that um, as a collective, and sometimes you don't. Um, when you're making reading and evaluating a file, you're really in that file, making the best decision for the file that's in front of you uh, with that training and that context behind you. Um, and sometimes at the end of all of the reading and committee process before decisions are final, you've hit your target and your class is sealed and delivered. That's pretty rare for it to happen. Usually there needs to be some adjusting. Maybe you've admitted too many or not enough. And so you go back and re-review files and uh, might be changing some of those decisions to get your class just as you want it, keeping in mind um, all of the targets, not just the size of the class, but, oh my gosh, did we, you know, not admit anybody from the East Coast? <laughs> Let's um, uh, reevaluate yeah. that section, or is our balance of um, uh, whatever majors um, completely out of whack, and do we need to uh, adjust for that? Right. So there's there's always that happening, and that's probably happening in admission offices. Um, this is airing on March second. It's probably happening over the next couple of weeks that that shaping is really is really starting to to occur. Um, any other thoughts that you would add there, Tova? Just in a in the last few seconds uh, about what the shaping looks like and and what that might mean for students. A lot of legwork. Definitely a lot of. Uh, Students not realizing, oh, I was actually in admit for about two days. Uh, right. Or, you know what, I was on the wait list, but they, they moved me in uh, just a week ago. Who knew? You'll never know. But a lot of those decisions do happen. Um, and I'd say a good two weeks or so before the decisions go out, there's a lot of thought and care that goes into that final finessing. So while we might have felt or made you feel like it's all arbitrary, it's all up in the air, do know that there's a lot of care in making sure that the final product is really Really representative of what we want our freshman class to look like. Yeah, in the end, it feels very binary. I got in or I didn't. But I, you know, I've spent. I know one file that I remember from my time where we spent hours as a group trying to decide on that particular file, and that's not something that is ever conveyed to that student, whether he gets in or not. That we spent hours and hours discussing that particular case. So you know, it's binary, but that doesn't mean that you you never know if you're the last one in or the first one out. And and you know, these decisions have a huge impact emotionally. But I think it's important to sort of understand how the process gets you there. Uh, Christine and Tova, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk through this. Uh, I think this felt a little different from our usual topics of conversation. So I'm glad you were here to to share that with us. Great to be here. Thanks, Ian. It was fun. Thanks, Ian. Awesome. When we come back, we're going to turn over to finance and planning for the cost of college across all four years. Stick around. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. 
But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. In our final segment today, we're going to turn away from the committee room and the reading process and, and talk a little bit about finance. Welcome back, my old podcast buddy, Kathy Ruby. Hey, Kathy, how's the weather in Maine? Oh, it's actually beautiful today. It's 50 degrees. Nice oh to my be God! Back, I don't believe I it sounds like a a great day for a donut. How are the donuts in Maine? <laughs> They're doing just fine. <laughs> Wonderful. Glad to hear it. Kathy and I have a little friendly rivalry going on between donuts in Portland, Oregon, versus donuts in Portland, Maine. Um, I think there are no losers in that rivalry. I think there are absolutely no losers when it comes to donuts. <laughs> exactly. So uh, today's finance topic is all about planning financially for all four years of college, which to me seems kind of obvious, but doesn't sound like people always do this. Maybe they're focused just on that first year. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about this idea of planning for four years? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it is surprising sometimes we talk to people who are so worried about that first year um, that they avoid thinking about all four years. And, and when you think about it, I mean, that's kind of human nature, right? You, if you don't want to confront the fact that the first year is hard to cover, then it's even harder to think about managing four years. Um, So, but in the long run, I mean, I think it's better, you're better off if you figure it out ahead of time. Um, The other thing that you want to be thinking about is not only four years, but you also want to be thinking about all of your kids, um, which is even more frightening, we know. Um, And also be thinking about as you're planning, um, you know, we're talking about this at this time of year when families are starting to get financial aid awards and figuring out whether colleges are affordable. But 
um, really you should be thinking about this ahead of time, you know, even as early as junior high. What is it that you're willing and able to pay um, for all four years of college for each of your kids? Because managing their expectations ahead of time is a lot easier than in the spring of their senior year. Yeah, yeah. I've been a part of a lot of those tough conversations where, you know, it's if the kid gets in, dream school, mom and dad can't afford it. And so, you know, that's a crushing conversation to have. So you want to start early. How, how do you start in terms of thinking about this process? Yeah, so really you want to have a plan. I mean, that's, that's the first step. And for most families, this involves three different components. You want to figure out what you've saved and then what you can pay out of pocket as you go and then what you might need to finance. Um, so most, you know, data shows that most families aren't able to save the whole thing. So for most families, college is really paid for using some combination of those three elements. Gotcha. Okay. So let's take saving first. That's something I'm working on right now. We've got some very young kids. I'm working on that. Um, any advice that people should follow uh, about spending their savings first, or is it better to spread that over four years and take a little chunk each each year? So <laughs> I'm going to pass the buck on that one. Um, like oh, a lot of right. finance questions, it really does depend on your situation and whether or not you're qualifying for need-based financial aid and how you've saved and how you're going to pay the rest of what you haven't saved. So I'm actually going to refer our listeners to a recent blog post that one of my colleagues just wrote. Um, So our blog is blog.getintocollege.com, and the title of the article is Six Tips for Spending Your 529 Plan, Um, and it was posted on February 9th. And it works, you know, whether you've saved in a 529 plan or in some other kind of savings vehicle, it's sort of some advice that can be um, reviewed in more detail, I think, in that kind of a format. Good. So you're passing the buck, but you're passing the buck to one of our colleagues. So it's it's yeah. keeping it within the college coach We, we just don't so. have time to cover the nuances of all of that in this segment. Perfect. Perfect. I like that. Show them where to find answers. That's great. Um, so savings, one thing. There's an answer there on our on our blog, and there's a lot of other great stuff on our blog, too. I'll give a little plug there. Uh, but what about uh, cash flow? Uh, wh- where does that sort of come into the uh, equation? Well, I think families often think that they don't have cash flow available to pay for college. But I'm actually going to push back on that, because when you have a high school student living with you, part of your monthly budget is going to support that high school child, Um, whether it's paying their activity fees or buying groceries or um, hot water, uh, going out to dinner, all kinds of different things that you're spending money on for that child who's living in your home. Um, My husband and I, our oldest was an offensive lineman, so you can imagine our grocery bill went down when he (laughs) left. (laughs) Yeah. And and if if nothing else, your discretionary income becomes more predictable, right? Because you don't have somebody dropping by to ask for cash out of your wallet all the time. So, um, right? They just email you to ask for cash. Yes. Mom, can you mow me twenty bucks? I can go to a movie. Exactly, (laughs) and that happens once a week, and there's there's eighty dollars a month right there. There So, um, really, do look at your cash flow, and if you don't have a budget, create one because you may find other things that you're spending money on that you don't really need to that you can direct toward college. Um, 
also talk to your child about what they can contribute. So figure out whether they're going to work during the summer and maybe part-time during the school year, certainly to cover their own books and personal expenses. But you should also have some conversation with them about whether or not they can budget in a way that allows them to save up $1,000 a year or whatever it might be to pay toward tuition, especially if you're going to be financing. Whatever you can do to find money to pay out of pocket saves you money in the long run. Yeah, so financing is sort of the the big piece here. I think the one that's that's the scariest, right? Because you know, using your savings is great. Making a budget, that's a little bit of a pain, but I can do it. But thinking about borrowing money and loans and financing is is something that I think is is a lot more challenging and and harder to predict what that's going to look like at the end of four years. So, what do you do there? Yeah, and so I think this is where you really have to look at look look at the numbers. Uh, squarely multiply them by four. So figure out what you and your student are going to need to borrow in the first year and then multiply that by four and even bump it up a little bit each year. And we'll talk about why in just a few minutes. But um, uh, And do remember that traditional undergraduate students who are you know sort of 18 to 22 can only borrow $27,000 from the federal student loan program over four years. And that's the only loan that they can borrow that's in their own name. So anything else beyond that, you'll either be borrowing through a federal parent loan program, or you might have to co-sign a loan, or you might have to use a home equity loan, but you'll be responsible um, for any additional financing. So I think what you really have to do is sit down and figure out what are you going to finance, and then what's it going to mean to you later on. Um, There are all kinds of great loan calculators out there. Uh, The website that we like is bankrate.com. And you can go to that website. It's actually a great website to study all kinds of different loans. But um, there's a student loan calculator where you can put in uh, the interest rate and you can predict the length of repayment. Most student loans are repaid in 10 to 20 years. Um, Okay. So you can play with the numbers and figure out what the monthly payment will be. Have conversations with your student about, you know, what are their potential earnings. Um, Look at the interest that you're going to have to pay over those 10 to 20 years because you think college is expensive. It's even more expensive when you pay interest on it. So um, you really want to look at what you're going to have to pay back and fit it in with your other goals, whether it's retirement or, um, you know, when is it that you want to retire, all those different questions. You need to do this in the context of all of your other financial goals. Of course, of course. Um, So you can obviously draw up a plan uh, for four years, but things change (laughs) in Mm -hmm. a four-year period, um, and they can change big in terms of costs or, you know, what sort of cash flow you're getting. Um, What happens when those changes happen, and how can parents be nimble in thinking about how to adjust accordingly? Yeah, that's a... That's a good question, and there's lots of things to consider. So I think the first and most obvious thing that can change over four years, we all know that tuition goes up every year. Um, and I think in recent years, the average has been anywhere from 2 to 4%. So you'll want to plan for that. Um, you'll want to understand whether scholarships and grants will go up to cover some of that increase. And actually, I'm not going to talk more about that because I believe next week's segment, we're going to talk about the renewability of scholarships and grants. But, you know, you Mm want to, if 
if, if you're not getting scholarships or grants, you certainly want to know how much that sticker price is going to go up. You can check with the college and see if they have any historical data on that. Usually they're perfectly happy to share that. Um, think about room and board. Um, I know that when uh, my daughter was in college, in the beginning she was required to live on campus, so we were kind of locked into what we had to pay for room and board. Um, but in later years she was able to move off campus, and she didn't save that much in rent, but she did save on board plans. So mm-hmm. she was able to feed herself more cheaply than us having to purchase a board plan for her. So there are ways that you can save money or Sometimes it'll cost you more money depending on the decisions your child makes. So um, that's another thing to keep in mind in your four-year plan. Right. Anything um, else there that, that might come yeah. in terms of student just changing their experience? Yeah. I mean, I think trying to um, – there are lots of reasons that kids pick colleges, right? Maybe they want to study abroad. Maybe they're excited about the internships and co-ops that are offered through those that college And so you actually have to do your research to figure out, well, that's great that you want to do that, but how much more is that going to cost? Um, Mm -hmm. In some cases, it can cost less. I mean, maybe it's a co-op that pays really well, so that's a good thing. Um, But maybe it's an internship that isn't paid at all, and you've got to figure out housing your child in a very, you know, expensive city or... um, and cover their meals and transportation and all those different things. So you just want to have a sense for how those expenses might come up. Um, You probably also want to look into if a college offers study abroad, find out if they offer grants and scholarships to cover those additional costs or whether those are just going to be things you're going to have to cover out of financing or savings or paying out of pocket. Gotcha. That's great. I think that's, that's really helpful. Um, And Good advice for people to start thinking about planning, uh, whether it's four years or eight years from now or 10 years from now. It's, it's, I think it's good to think about. So thanks a lot, Kathy, for joining us and walking us through this four-year plan. A uh, lot to take in, but I think we got there. Great. Happy to help. Awesome. And thank you again to Christine Sawicki and Tova Tolman for their contributions to the early part of the show. Hope you got some great snippets out of that conversation as well. Did you know that the newest round of Common App essay prompts were released just a couple weeks ago? Join us next week as we unpack the new and the old Common App prompts with an eye on getting you juniors started on that personal statement with clear eyes and full hearts. We'll also provide you with some ammunition as you weigh different financial aid packages, what is renewable when it comes to scholarship and aid. Uh, We'll have your answers. Kathy alluded to that in our segment today. Until then, enjoy the month of March and best wishes for the speedy arrival of spring. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 